God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for another day that we can gather together as a church family, uh, a day to come and to worship you and to connect and interact with each other, a day that we can open up our hearts and our minds to hear from you, to study your word, to be transformed by your spirit. And uh, Lord, I know that on a day like today, people have all kinds of things cluttering and crowding their heart and their mind. Uh, And I'm no different. And Lord, we just ask together as a church this morning that you'd quiet those things. Give our hearts some peace and some stillness to hear from you and uh, to learn from your word today. And uh, remind us, Lord, that all those other things that we're thinking about or worried about or having to deal with, they'll be here at the end of this service. So let us put those things off to the side and, um, and just connect with you. Um, in in this next bit of time that we have in your word. So speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, so we're finishing this particular series. Um, We've been working through this for, for six, this is our seventh week in it. And I told you when we began that when you look at the gospel of Mark as a whole, Mark, the author, had the intention of showing people who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. All right, that's part of the, the purpose of a gospel. The gospel accounts were eyewitness accounts of what they saw Jesus do, what they saw him teach, the incredible things that the world experienced as Jesus was ministering on the earth. And the gospel writers, once they realized that Jesus wasn't coming back in a few days when he said, I'll return, they're like, oh man, we've got to get these things down. We need to write these things down for the people that will come after us. I mean, Jesus may not come back in our lifetimes. And as we find out 2,000 uh, years later, uh, he didn't. And so he says, well, if, they have, if, if, if he, Jesus doesn't come back now, somebody needs to tell the people what this was all about. And so they wrote down these gospel accounts. And we, as we study this, we want to know what it is that Jesus has called us to. All right, what he's, he's doing. Uh, because he's not passive. One of the most important things for you to understand in each of these weeks, as we've been looking at a different call of Jesus, is the, the goal is that you would recognize that none of these calls stand alone. All right? All of these calls are all important. All of these calls are, are calling a different part of your life into alignment with, with God. Okay? So each of these things are a little bit different. There's all these different calls that Jesus makes and he's continuing to make to us. They're, they're a part of the overall plan that God has for his people. You might not know it, and people will sometimes tell you this, but we're, we're not here by accident. Humanity, earth, is not just one big cosmic accident. All right, there's a real God who has done this, um, a God who cares about you, and the point of this whole series has been, and God is calling you. He's calling you to know him and to follow him. And that's a little bit different than the God that some people have in their imaginations. You know, some people picture this this God up there in heaven, wherever that is, you know, slouched on some throne, waiting for the people of earth to come up with some good sacrifices or worship, and he's just hanging out there, or he's falling asleep up there, or or whatever it is. You know, this this other view of, of this God who just 
isn't, isn't God. Now, I will say that the Bible does describe God as sitting on a throne, <laughs> but it also um, teaches us that he's alive and he's active and he's attentive to humanity and the earth. And these calls that we've looked at, these individual calls that Jesus gave when he walked the earth 2,000 years ago, still stand today. And that's what I've wanted you to understand as you've seen these things. When Jesus called people to follow him, that call still remains today. Jesus is still calling people to follow him. All right, And each of these calls still stand. And the one that we're going to look at here today, the one that we've saved for the very end here, is probably the most well-known call of all the calls. In fact, if you were to you know, ask Christians most of the time, hey, what is God's call on a, the, the life of a believer? Most Christians would probably answer with this particular one. All right? it, it's well-known. Um, and so I want you to, to, to think about that. But even though it's well-known, there's a misunderstanding sometimes that this is the only call that Jesus gives. But here, we've just gone through six weeks of talking about things that Jesus calls us to, and we haven't even mentioned this one yet, all right? So that's important to understand. Now, I'm telling you that this one is well-known ahead of time because I don't want you to sort of disengage once you hear this call, all right? And this is what I mean by that. When we come across something that we've already heard, something that we already understand. There's, there's all this neurological study about the way our brain cuts those things out and says, I, heard, I know that, I've heard that, I've seen that, right? How many of you today, on your way to church, driving to church, especially if you've been here more than one week, how many of you are reading every single street sign that you passed? Probably nobody, unless you're one of those people that you just, words cannot pass your eyes without you having to read them. I sometimes have that problem, okay? Um, no, most of us, right, we're an autopilot, I know I was. I know the way to get here. <laughs> I've been here a few times. I'm not looking at the street signs and saying, ooh, what, what am I supposed to turn here? Is it this one, right? You're just, you just go with it. You're on autopilot. It's the same thing with the Bible, especially if you've been walking with God for a while and you've heard these sermons and you've heard messages and you've heard these things. You hear it over and over and over again and you come to church and the pastor says, we're going to talk about prayer today. You're like, prayer? I've heard about that one. I know that. You know, we're going to talk about the love of Jesus. Well, I know about the love of Jesus. Like, come on. And what happens? Immediately, you're thinking about all these other things, and you're checking out. I don't want you to do that today, okay? Don't do it. Because the call we see today, it's, it's, it is common, it's well known, but I think that we can learn something new. And maybe we can hear something specific that the Lord wants to speak to us today. The call we see today is a call to go, all right? A call to go. And that is something that most Christians know, especially if you've been around an evangelistic type of a church, they know that Christians are called to go. But I think this message is a little bit different than some of the other messages you've heard on this topic, okay? So so pay attention. Now, I also want to say this. Today's message is going to mostly be aimed toward Christians, all right? And this isn't to be a room that's only for Christians, If you're not a Christian here today, you're in the right place. Don't worry, okay? We, as a church, what a church is, is a mix of believers and non-believers, right? People that understand the word and don't understand the word. People that are searching for God and people that know God. That's what a church is, all right? But I will say today, most of what we're going to talk about, this particular call, 
is a call that's primarily for Christians. But if you're not a Christian, still pay attention because I think you can learn some things about who God is and what God is doing in the world. All right? So, like I said, we're in the last chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Now, for Bible scholars, Mark 16 is very unique. In all the New Testament, it's very unique. William Barclay, who is a well-known author and scholar and Bible commentator, describes Mark 16 like this. Here's a quote for you. It should be on the screen. It says, In its original form, it, the gospel that we're talking about here, stops at Mark 16.8. All right? We know this for two reasons. First, the verses which follow, Mark 16.9-20, are not in any of the great early manuscripts. Only later and inferior manuscripts contain them. Second, the style of Greek is so different that these verses and the rest of the gospel cannot have been written by the same person. But here's the problem, all right? If you did the the Bible reading and you went through the gospel of Mark, all right, and you're reading all the way through and it's like, okay, Jesus is doing that and this has happened and then, whoa, he's he's here in Jerusalem and then he, he gets drawn into the high priest and then Pilate and the crucifixion happens and he dies and then they take him off the cross and they put him in this tomb and then these people come and they open up the tomb and then Jesus isn't there in the tomb. And look at what what he talks about, uh, verse 8, where it ends. Here's the last verse that they think was originally in this this book of Mark. And and they went out, leaving the tomb, and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And that's it. It just stops. All right? And that's one of the big issues that's that's going on here, because verse 8 doesn't really finish the story. That we know there's more to this story. It's even set up in such a way that it's like, wait a minute. This is like one of those, you watch the series and, and it ends the show. And you're like, oh my gosh, i got to wait for the next episode for this. I'm ready for bed. I don't want to watch another episode. You know, right? It's that, that cliffhanger kind of a thing. What it seems is that the last few verses of Mark were either never completed by Mark himself or it may have been damaged or torn off the earliest scrolls. Okay, I'm not going to go super deep into all this. Um, Some of you love this stuff. Others of you hate this stuff. But the original manuscripts that were written by these authors, by the author of Mark, they would have been written on these fragile scroll sorts of things. All right? And, And again, probably when these authors were writing these things, they weren't thinking, I need to write this in like triplicate and file it away in different places because we're going to need this in a thousand years from now. No. They're like, well, I should probably write this stuff down. You know, at least my grandkids might look at it. But that's not what happened. So maybe what happened is uh, some of those very ancient scrolls, it just got broken off and, and, you know, lost in that process. But at some point, probably in the second century, someone decided, well, this can't be left as a cliffhanger. So they opted to finish the document. All right, and, and that's why in your Bibles, like mine, some Bibles will have a little bracket around verses 9 through the end of the, the, of the chapter saying these weren't included in the oldest um, books that we have. All right? Now, why then am I telling you this, and why then would we even study this? Come on, Brett. I'm not a Bible scholar. I don't want to be. I don't care about this stuff. Here's why. Because even if Mark didn't write these words, and it's only Christian tradition that we have here, I think, there, think that there's still some value in what we find here, okay? Um, and not only that, it allows us um, an opportunity to clear up a couple verses in here that are going to be really weird, 
Okay, they're just weird. It's just confusing and it's weird. Um, remember, God chose imperfect people to write down his perfect Bible. The message of salvation is clear in the Bible. He's given us what we need from his word. And this is one of the very few sections of the Bible that seem to have been altered from the original documents. Um, and that honestly speaks more to the authenticity of the Bible that we have here than it does the unreliability of the Bible. All right? So what we actually find here, though, is a summary of some of the things that took place in the early church rather than what would happen in the future when Jesus spoke it. That's important. That's important. That's what makes sense out of these verses. Um, because a lot of the things that Jesus wrote and said in Scripture and were recorded were things that Jesus said before they happened. All right? Some of the things that Jesus told his disciples early on in his ministry, over and over he told them, he said, listen, I am going to go to the cross. He said, I'm going to go and they're going to they're kill me, basically. But I'm going to rise again. That wasn't after this all happened that somebody scribbled in that little footnote. No, Jesus told them ahead of time, this is what is going to happen in the future. And I need you to know that. I need you to be aware of it. I need it to not surprise you and shock you when this all takes place. And I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. All right, there's certain things that Jesus said that were very much like that. But here in this added ending, what we're finding is actually references to some pretty radical things that happened in the early years of the church. So this is some people looking back at what happened in that time after Jesus resurrected and the early church started to where they were in, in history, okay? That helps you understand some, some of this, and you'll see why. All right, so let's read it. Here we are. Mark 16, verse 14. It says, Afterward, he, meaning Jesus, appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, verse 15, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever, is, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then, the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Now, this call, the call to go that we're talking about here today, um, the, the call to, as it says here in, in this verse, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, it's what we call evangelism, um, that's, that is not only found here in this passage. All right, The place that most of us have heard this from is the gospel of Matthew. I'm going to read it to you. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. All right, You recognize that. You've heard that before. Most likely all of you. Why? Because that's the basic mission of the church. Every church shares that same mission. It's, it's called the Great Commission for a reason. Because no matter where in the world you are, what cultural background your church comes from, what traditions you hold, all those things, every you know, Jesus-following, Bible-believing church follows this command. 
that we are to go into the world and make disciples. That's why it's so well known. There are a couple other things, though, here in these verses that are only found here. All right? Verse 18 probably should have caught you a little bit off off guard. Um, Right? I, I I would think so. The whole picking up serpents and drinking poison? What is this all about? That's just kind of weird, to be honest. All right? Now, here's what you have to understand. When we draw things out of the Bible that are like big ideas out of the Bible, we don't just find some random little verse and say, oh, that verse therefore means that the whole church should do this. Okay, we call those big foundational pieces doctrine. All right? And there are certain doctrinal things, things that are foundational to all Christianity that, that we believe and we hold to. All right? The resurrection of Jesus is a foundational piece. And it's pretty wild because what we believe as a Christian church is that Jesus, a physical, fully man, fully God, died and he rose again from the dead. All right? It's radical. But that's a foundational piece of doctrine that we believe in. All right? But what some people do is they find a weird verse like this and they're like, that's weird. That's unique. That sounds fun. I like that. Let's make a doctrine out of that. And so what you actually have, and I know that not everybody knows this, just because I was talking with the the band and the AV team today uh, about this, did you know there are some churches that look at this one little weird verse and say, therefore, we should all handle snakes in church? I'm serious, guys. It's in the United States South. We've got some places, and I'm not picking on this. I am picking on the South, because that's where this is, okay? There are churches that part of their worship service and, and Dave said, well, Brett, did you bring like a rubber snake? Like you should have pulled that thing out in church. I'm like, no, Dave, I'm not going there. <laughs> right? But there are people that in their worship services say, well, if you're really a person of faith, then you should be able to pick up this copperhead, this cotton mouth, this rattlesnake, and you should be able to hang out with it and you're singing songs and everything else and he bites you and it's fine because you're a person of faith. And the Bible says right there that you'll pick up serpents and you'll have poison and it won't bother you. That's crazy stuff. All right, and that's not what we should build doctrines on, okay? All right, but that's where people go, and that's where people, that's where some of this stuff has come from, all right? Probably this is what happened, though. See, I explained it to you. This last section of Scripture was probably looking back at some of the history that happened. There's one passage in the book of Acts, the very last chapter of of Acts, um, where Paul, the apostle, had been on a ship. Um, they were heading through the Mediterranean Sea, and there was a shipwreck, all right? And it destroyed the ship. All of the, the people that were on the boat literally had to swim to the island of Malta. They had to swim to shore because of this shipwreck. And so all these survivors, they get out of the water. They're, they're, it, it, they're trying to dry off. They're all dripping wet. They go, start going through on the land and gathering sticks to build a fire to try to dry themselves out. The, the, the native people, the locals there of the island of Malta, see that this has happened. They're coming trying to help, and they're watching these, these shipwreck survivors on the beach. They're pulling in these sticks. They're building a bonfire, and the apostle Paul, in grabbing a set of sticks, walks over here. He drops his sticks, but there's a snake in the pile of sticks. Now, the locals of Malta realize that's not any snake. That is one of these po- super poisonous snakes, and, and it is not good that it's near this person. And it tells us, as he starts to drop this in, the snake attaches itself to him, bites him. All right, and so the islanders are like, oh my 
gosh, who is this person? Like, talk about bad luck. Not only has he just had a shipwreck, but now I'm, this guy's got to be like the worst murderer out there or something because he survives a shipwreck, gets up here for a poisonous snake to bite him. God hates this guy. Well, what happens is this. Paul shakes the snake off into the fire, and the natives are all like, well, we're going to watch this dude because he's, he's out in a couple minutes. I give him three. I give him five. Well, let's just watch. And as he sits there and he's hanging out like nothing, they're like, they change their opinion completely because now they're like, hold on. Nobody survives these bites. What's happening here? This, this can't be. So then they change their opinion. And they're like, actually, God doesn't hate him. He might be a God. And so then they're like, we got to listen to this guy. Paul uses it as an opportunity to share the gospel. People get saved. It's all good. All right? That could be, and that's just a, an idea of what is being referred to here. Some of these other things that took place. We know on the day of Pentecost, people began to speak in new tongues. Yes, as, as the, they, they uh, ministered and shared the gospel, signs accompanied those things. Maybe that's what's going on here. But the call to go, the call to go and proclaim the gospel, that is consistent with the rest of the Bible. That's what we see in lots of places. That's what we see Jesus' call over and over to be. The call to go still stands, and it's an important theme in the, in the ministry of Jesus. Now, in some churches, sometimes, this is where the message ends. And I know you're like excited, like, ooh, that'd be really, that'd be awesome, you know, we have a whole afternoon. No, guys, it's going to be long, just wait. But this is where some pastors would just tell you, all right, now get out there, Jesus said, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Get out there and go. And next week, we better have 20 new people. I'm going to set 20 new chairs up right here because we better have 20 new people in the seats next week or you just aren't very good Christians. Get out there. All right? There's a problem with that, though. All right? If the only call that Jesus made was a call to go, then that sort of logic makes sense. If that's the only thing that Jesus ever said to us, and he said, I want you to get out there and go make disciples because I said so, if that's all that there is, um, then it could make sense. But that's not the whole picture that we've seen. One of my priorities for the whole series here is to help each of us see the way that God's call impacts our own lives, right? individually, every aspect of our lives. I want us to know clearly that we're called to be part of something bigger than ourselves. That the, the call that Jesus has on us is something that is, is bigger than we can imagine, is different probably than most of us imagine. We're called to be part of something bigger than ourselves without losing ourselves in the process. All right? the, the other calls that we've looked at in this series, okay? we studied how Jesus calls each person to follow him. That was his, a call. How he calls us to surrender our lives. How he calls us to be in relationship. How he calls us to become fruitful. How he calls us to minister to others. How he calls us to stay spiritually awake. And now, the seventh of these, there's a call to go. Now, with some of these other calls, it's kind of easy to see why we would want to follow the call. Because what I want you to understand is there's, there's a motivator behind these different calls. And this call to go, if the only motivation you have is that, well, my pastor said I had to, and Jesus said I had to, so I guess I have to. If that's the only thing motivating you to do this, it's not gonna be easy to go. 
and you're probably going to do it a few times, and it's not going to turn out so well, and you're going to be like, ah, forget this go thing. I already tried that. That's not what we want. But with some of the others, like, like for instance, the call to be in relationship with Jesus, there's a lot of personal benefit from being in a relationship with Jesus. You'll find a lot of peace and joy and things that you did not think that you could have without that relationship. There's a, 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 some impact when we're called to be fruitful. Everybody wants their lives to have like long-term meaning and history and, and a legacy. We want to be that. We understand, we studied this recently, when we're spiritually awake, that we find joy and peace that we didn't know where it comes from, right? But the call to go is a little different because the call to go at the first glance just feels like, uh, he just wants something from me. He needs me to go do the work that he doesn't want to do. And that's why he's calling me to go. But that is not what is going on here. What motivates us to go and share the gospel? Well, for one thing, yes, Jesus asks us to, and we love him, and we want to obey what he asks. So for some of you, you hear that call, and you're like, ah, it's all right. It's Jesus asking me to do it. I'll do it. No problem. Okay? But the other thing that I want you to see is that answering the call to go is the natural outflow of the spiritually healthy follower of Jesus. It's kind of a mouthful, but I'm going to say it again. Answering the call to go is the natural outflow of the spiritually healthy follower of Jesus. And I want you to understand that he doesn't call us to go first. That's not the first call that we see in Jesus' ministry. In fact, in the gospel accounts, it's the last call that we see. He calls us to follow first. We saw that with the disciples. What did he say? He said he chose and appointed 12 that they would first be with him. And then he's going to send them out to preach and do all these other things. The first call is a call to follow, to be with him, to know him. I've, I've given this illustration many times in our church, but it's been a while, and I thought, um, there's a lot of people who haven't heard it, so I want to describe it again. Um, several years ago now, I um, came across somebody who was describing this illustration, and I thought, oh, that's really helpful, and it's useful. So I've introduced it um, to the church. It's called Pitcher, Cup, Saucer, Plate. All right? And here's a 1980s still life rendition of what I'm trying to describe here. All right? A pitcher, like a pitcher of water to pour something, right? And then a cup, like a teacup on a saucer, and a plate, all right? So these are the elements that are involved here, all right? And what this illustration is designed to do is to describe what a healthy spiritual life looks like, all right? God is the one with the pitcher, all right? And the pitcher is full of him, the Holy Spirit, all right? And he takes and pours into our lives. We are the teacup, all right? We're the cup. You are the cup. God pours his spirit into the cup, and his spirit pours into the cup and begins to fill that cup to overflowing, all right? And, and you're picturing this is what's happening. This is God, you being with God. This is your relationship. You've answered that call. He's now pouring his spirit into you. He's filling you up to the brim. But he continues to pour. And as he continues to pour, that, that Holy Spirit now hits to the top of the cup and then starts pouring over the cup. But that cup is sitting on a saucer. And so what's the thing that catches the overflow? The saucer. The saucer represents your closest relationships, your family, your spouse, your closest friends, the people who really know you and you know them. And as God continues to pour his spirit, filling you to the brim and then overflowing, now you're flowing onto all those relationships. 
But God doesn't stop pouring. He continues to pour more. And you continue to overflow. And now you fill that saucer with him and his love in your life. And now it pours out from that saucer. Now onto the plate. All right? And the plate represents all the world around you. Everywhere that God sends you to minister and to go. Now what happens is, in our spiritual walk, if any of these things get out of place, the whole flow breaks down. All right? If you take the saucer and put it on top of the cup and pour the water, guess what? No water gets into the cup. It splashes on the saucer and maybe hits the plate, but nothing's going in the cup. Same thing with the plate. You can pull the plate up on top and neither the saucer or the cup get filled. You understand? The image, the image is what we have to do if we really want to go, if we really want to minister, we have to do it in the spirit and power of God. We have to be people that are full because here's what happens. A lot of times as Christians, we get filled or mostly filled and we're like, okay, it's cool, God. I got it now. From here, I can take it. And so then we take our cup and we try to, you know, love our spouse and love our kids and love our neighbors. And, oh, we've got those things at church that I need to do. And I'm going to minister over here. I'm going to slosh out a little bit over here under the plate here. Oh, I need a little of this. Guess what happens? It doesn't take very long until you're empty. You're spiritually empty. Your cup's no longer full. And what happens there is all kinds of the cracks start to show. There's all kinds of other things that take place there. But what God is calling us to, and, and before he calls us to go, before he calls us to reach the plate, he's calling us first to be filled with him to overflow. And, and let that overflow begin to, to love the people all the way around us. It's a picture of healthy spirituality. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? Do you understand that? A healthy Christian, a spiritually healthy Christian, will naturally answer the call to go. It isn't meant to be motivated by guilt. And unfortunately, that's how a lot of us hear that message to go. We hear the call to go and we're like, oh, if I don't go, God's going to be mad at me. The, the people in my life group are going to think I'm not a good Christian. I'm going to like, ah, oh, I've got to do it this way. No, the call to go is a natural outflow because as God is pouring into you to overflow, it just happens. These opportunities come. The love of who you are, you wonder why somebody comes to you and says, you're such a nice person. What is the deal with that? Oh, let me tell you, I got Jesus in my life. It's overflowing. Right? These things naturally happen. It, we are to be motivated, not by guilt, but by love. And the only way that we can answer that call to go in the right way is if the Lord goes with us by his power, by his spirit. And, and I'll tell you the truth. That was a struggle that I had for a long time in my life. I, for a long time, I was trying to do the work so that God would love me rather than allowing God to love me, which would fuel the work. Do you see the difference? I have done a lot of things in my life for the Lord rather than with the Lord. And that's not the way that we're called to do it. And that's where we get burned out and worn out in it. Okay, so in this, this understanding of the call to go, there's two layers that I want us to see here, all right, uh, regarding who it is that goes. First off, we go as individuals. 
All right, we go as people. Every Christian is called to go, all right? And that's because we're Christians. But we also go as a group because we're a church, all right? So there's two different layers. We go as individuals, but we also go as a church. And for the past several years, the Lord's been working on us as a church in all sorts of ways, all right? For some of you, you, you're kind of new to this church family and you haven't seen all that. But for many of you who have been here for a long time, you've seen a lot of things that have happened. A lot of ways that we've been able to grow in depth in who we are as a church. All right? And there are different seasons of focus. And we've asked God from the very beginning, uh, ask, ask around if you don't believe me, but from the very beginning, one of the, the primary things that we've asked God is, God, make us a healthy church. It doesn't matter if it's big, if it's little, if it's rich, if it's poor, just make us healthy. No matter what, make us healthy. And overall health has a lot of components. And so because of that, God's worked in different parts of us as a church and as individuals. But the call to go is a vital part of a healthy church. Because you can be healthy in all these other ways as a church, but if you don't go, if you're not going out into the world and fulfilling this great commission... Are you really a healthy church? Can you call yourself a healthy church if you're missing one of these calls of Jesus? I don't think you can. We cannot be content to hold the gospel to ourselves. And we want to answer God's call to go in the way that he has for us as people and as a church. You know, if you look at um, the statistics of how people come to know the Lord for the first time, um, the thing, statistically, the most effective evangelism, you might think it's, oh, it's the great, big, huge event, like the, the, the Harvest Crusade or the Billy Graham festivals, you know, that's it. Because I watched that on TV and like 4,000 people came down to the altar to receive the Lord, you know. But actually, that's not the most effective. The most effective evangelism is actually called personal evangelism. It's the one-on-one relationships. It's when a personal evangelism is, is simply when you go and you share the gospel with the people you know and that know you. That's actually what's most effective. That's what not only is it more last, uh, long-lasting, but also it is, tends to be the most effective. All right? One of the responsibilities of the leaders of a church is to help equip you to personally share the gospel. And so we want to try to help you to get comfortable sharing. It's simple. What has Jesus done in your life? That's it. You don't have to memorize half the Bible and quote verses and all these things and have all the arguments all sorted out in your head. The big part about personal evangelism is they get to know you. You get to know them. They get to see the shortcomings of your life, but they also get to see how you respond to those things. They get to see who you are as a person, and you get an opportunity to share, hey, yeah, I've, I've been a person who's struggled with anger for all these years, but God's working on it. And they've seen it. And they're like, yeah, you don't really blow up the way you used to. Yeah, it's because God's working in my life. That's evangelism. Whatever that, that case may be for you personally. And so part of what we want to do as a church is help um, equip you to do that, but also then provide opportunities as a church that we can draw other people in and we can invite people in. Yeah, maybe, maybe the Lord will someday call us to do some sort of a crusade or something like that. I can't imagine that right now, but maybe, who knows? Maybe it's, it's a, an event like an all-church picnic 
where you say, hey, come meet the community of God. Maybe it's here on a Sunday morning. Hey, I go to church on Sundays. Why don't you come with me? Um, it's, a, it's a good group of people. Whatever that is. We also, though, we do want to continue to follow that call as a group. And, and there's some practical ways that we have done that and want to expand what we're doing with that. You know, um, each year we usually do a Salt Creek cleanup here on this school campus where we meet. And what is that? It's just a tangible way to show the Salt Creek community, especially the teachers and the kids and the families that drop off, oh, there's a church here of people that love us. That's it. We're not asking for anything else. It's usually just church people here that meet with Juan, the the, the facilities guy, and we go through and, and clean things up, right? It's a simple, tangible way of doing that. Providing resources and volunteers for um, the, the, the events that Rudy Aguilar and his family do down in the community across the border in Rosarito, right? We help support those things. We've gone down there and done things with them. These are other ways. Even things like Operation Christmas Child that we do each year of sending, you know, um, uh, Christmas gifts to, and, and, and supplies for those less fortunate. Or even like we just saw this morning, right? An event in, in August, with the, the streets of hope to go advance the gospel in these ways. These are ways that we go and we want to see outreach grow naturally out of our church body because it's what we're called to do. That's why we're doing it. Now, two more layers. We're, we're almost done here. Two more layers of going. So not only do we go as individuals because we're Christians and as a group because we're the church, but also where do we go? How does this actually play out in your life what does that mean well we go and proclaim the gospel both inside the church and outside of the church you might not know this but one of the ways that you go as a believer is what you do when you're actually here on a Sunday morning all right when you even during the greeting time when you stand up and you share a smile and a hello with other people in this room, especially others that you don't know and don't know you and might be here for the first time, what does that person, the first-time guest that comes to the church, when they have somebody come up and say hello to them genuinely and mean it, what do they feel? Oh, this group, these people are actually willing to let other people come to church with them. Oh, they actually care that I'm here. That doesn't happen in all churches This is why we put it in our worship service. It also does help me get from guitar to this, but that's not the only reason, (laughs) right? It's because it is an an action of going. It's a way that we're doing this, all right? That is it. At the end of a service, same thing. You might be hungry and run straight to the food table and load up, and you could just go hide under a magnolia tree and eat your treat and leave, or... You could say, hmm, who do I not know here? Who have I not talked to? Who have I not greeted here today? Who have I not been able to like, share a moment or two with to talk about what's going on in their lives? This is all, it's, it's, it's the work of the gospel. It's the work of loving one another. This is all, yeah, it overlaps in lots of places. It's community, it's authenticity, it's all those things. But this is part of the way that we share the gospel. And especially as we're, we're, we've got that, uncle or cousin or neighbor or best friend that we invite to church and and we get to church and we walk them through all the stuff at church and nobody says a word to them and nobody interacts with them how how do they feel how do you feel come on church like what's happening here 
We have to be people that are doing that. But that's actually one of the ways that you're going. So when you come to church, this is part of what you're doing in the gospel, in the way that you're functioning with other people, right? So that's, that's one, one way, inside the church. But there's also that that goes outside of the church. God is calling us to go outside. Now, he's calling us to go everywhere, and he wants to go with us. And it might be hard to see the benefit of going until you've done it. But once you do answer the call, you get to see God work in some beautiful ways um, that only he can do. Because the call to go doesn't just stop at, on Sunday at 12.01. That's not when it stops. We're planted in a community that needs Jesus. And so who are those people? Well, those are the people who live next door to you. Those are the people you're passing on the street when you drive by. Those are the people standing in line in front of you at Lowe's. Those are, it, it is our community. It is the people all around us. We're called to go and share the good news of Jesus with them. And sometimes that's easier than other times. Sometimes they come right to your door and knock on your door and tell you that if you only read this little piece of paper, that then you'll go to heaven. Whatever it is, there's different ways that you can interact with them. And we're called to go um, on behalf of Jesus. Now, I do want to make this one other statement about this because even for those that answer the call to go, and they understand that, and I know many of you are this way. You understand this call. And for many of you, you know you want to serve inside the church, you want to serve outside of the church. And sometimes what happens is people get real one, one I don't know what the word is, single-minded, I guess. They, they feel like one direction is the only direction on it. And so you'll have people that will say, well, I go to this church because they really do evangelism out there into the community. They've got all the events and they do all these things, so it's the best church. And then there's other people that say, I go to this church because they're so good about discipleship and they're working within the church and people get deep. Guys, it's not an either-or. It's a both. It's a both-and. Now, we know that we're all built differently and created differently, and God calls us to do things a little bit differently. We're different parts of the body. Some of us are called to spend most of our going out into the world, out into the community. Others of us are supposed to spend most of our time in the church, serving in the community. But notice that I don't say for either of them that you should spend all, because I really think that it's important that all of us do a bit of both. And this is why. Because even if you feel most comfortable going out and sharing the gospel on a street corner and you don't feel comfortable being in there with a group of third graders that freak you out, <laughs> even then, that helps you continue to both expand who you are as a person but also appreciate and see the need for the gospel even there. Whether it's in the classroom or whether it's on the street corner. Both of those things are needed. And God calls people to both those things. So the, it's, it's the same thing, vice versa, over here. If you're, the, you're like, I love the third graders. Are you kidding? They're amazing. And that's easy for me, and it's just a natural deal. Well, guess what? Even for you, it's good to go and try these other things, to come across the border and set up chairs at an outreach event in Rosarito. Whatever it is, go surf with some kids in La Jolla Shores. Like, whatever it is, some of those other things are, are, are bigger than you as well. And it's both. It's both and. And we have to realize that and recognize that, all right? 
God knows what he's doing. The way we do it is we just pay attention to what his specific call is for us individually. All right, so the conclusion here. For some of you today, you just need a little push of encouragement to answer the call. Even if you're very familiar with this, and you've heard this, the call to go, most of your lives, you have a relationship with Jesus. You've seen him work in your life. You just need the courage to speak it. And I want to encourage you today to just do it. Just go. Just take the opportunities that God gives you. Ask God for opportunities to share. And the Lord, as it says that he did here in Mark, the Lord will work with you and confirm the message. Now, for others of you, it's not quite time to go. Now, that might surprise you. But it might not be time for you to go because there's some other calls that Jesus has made on your life that you haven't yet answered. Okay? Um, First, Jesus calls us to follow and surrender our lives to him. And if you haven't come to that spot yet, going is still in your future, but it's not there yet. I'm not calling a non-Christian to go and try to share the gospel. Why? Because your first call, your first priority is to answer the call to follow and to surrender your life. Then those other things will happen. Then once you've answered that call, he will call you to go as well. So for you, think about those other calls first. Ask yourself if you've truly given everything of who you are to the Lord or not. And then finally, the third group of people, for some of you, you've been answering the call to go. And for you, um, I mean, have you guys seen some new faces around here at church? I know I have. That's happening because you are inviting people to church. You are telling people about what's going on here. That comes naturally when our church is answering the call. And to you, I say, keep up the good work. I know it's sometimes discouraging. I know there's people that will reject you and turn you down and not, not be part of this and not come. But God sees your efforts and he'll go with you as well. Continue to fill up and then pour out. And when we're doing all that and when, when we're following Jesus where he leads, we're answering when Jesus calls. All right? Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. And thank you for these calls. And God, I do just uh, ask this morning, Lord, that you would encourage us and you would guide us and you would lead us in the way that you want to. Um, Father, we want to be people that are spiritually healthy. We want to be a church that is spiritually healthy. And we want to be the people that you are calling us to be. And sometimes that takes courage. Sometimes it takes us... um, surrendering things that are getting in the way sometimes it 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 takes um us getting out of our comfort zone but whatever it is lord whatever you have for us will you please continue to call us let us know that the call comes from you and allow us lord to do what it is that you're calling us to do because we want to be those people that are answering your call and this morning lord i'd like to pray for uh, all of those who maybe have heard your word Um, that you're speaking to them in their hearts this morning. And I pray, God, that um, whatever it is that you're speaking to them, that they'd be able to hear you clearly. There may be some here today that are, for the first time, recognizing that you've called them to follow you and to surrender their lives to you. 
And if that's the case here today, Lord, I pray that you would right now come close to them and allow them to experience your spirit and your voice speaking to them. And that today would be the day of salvation for them. That they would surrender their lives wholly and completely to you. And Lord, I pray that um, um, as you begin that work in their lives, Lord, that you would build them and strengthen them and encourage them and allow them to grow and to become disciples and followers of you. Lord, I also just pray for our church this morning. I pray, God, that you would continue to expand our opportunities to go. You would give us a vision for that, a desire for that, opportunities for that. We want to answer your call. We want to be obedient to you. And we also want to experience all the blessing and benefit that comes from it. And we're grateful, Lord, that you would be willing to call us to go and work with you. So we pray that you would do it. Make us the church that you want us to be, Lord. This is your church. It's not my church. It's not the elder team's church. This is Jesus' church. And Lord, we want to follow after you and uh, go where you lead us. So do that, Lord. Lead us. Lead us this week. Provide opportunities to share our faith. Uh, Provide the people. Uh, Allow us to see the ripe fruit, those that are ready to come to you. No matter if we know them very well or if we've just met them, Lord, allow us to uh, go and do what you call us to do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.